This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, oh. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to Finsider Radio, another edition, another week, and another crazy, crazy time in the world of the Miami Dolphins. I'm joined here by certain the creepy soccer dad and Houts is not here tonight with us because he has a little more important thing to be worrying about. And that is because he became a father morning, becoming a father to Adeline Carly Houts, a beautiful baby girl. And if you get on Twitter, please congratulate Houts and his wife. Baby's doing well. Mom's doing well. Houts is doing well. And Houts has already made her into a little Dolphins fan. So, of course, congratulations to Houts. And we'd expect nothing less. Obviously. Uh... Sincere congratulations to their family. I know how I felt when I had my first child. It changed my life, as I'm sure it did you. And just ready to try and fill in his his gap here as as, as best we can. Yeah, and you know we we both had kids, and I have two. You have like 25, so yeah, we've all been through it before. Um, it's a great feeling, and your life does change, and. You don't sleep ever again. So, house, we know you're not going to get any sleep, especially the first few days. Pace yourself if you're listening. Baby sleeps. I know everyone tells you that, but um, and we never listen. But please try to do that as best as you possibly can. And just All fair right. warning. So, and just and just fair warning. I have 
two beers cracked open tonight, one for myself and one for Hout. So if I get a little rowdy later in the podcast, you'll know why. And I've already had two beers, so I'm already little, <laughs> so slurring my words. I'm slurring my words and already rowdy and, and passed out <laughs> halfway. You are lit AF. Yes, I am. All right, let's jump right into things. The biggest shocker of it all, Jay Ajayi being traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a fourth-round pick. And when the news came out, Chris Morrison had tweeted something earlier on uh, Tuesday morning, the day of the tra- trade deadline, and it said something to the effect of, bad cell service, sorry. But keep your eyes and ears on the Miami Dolphins. Adam Gase is pissed and wants to make a statement. He deleted the tweet shortly after. Must have been uh, whether it's supposed to be a direct message or a text message to somebody. I still don't know how people get that mixed up because it's a totally different screen. I don't know how you think you're doing a direct message and end up tweeting it out or think you're doing a tweet and sending this a direct message. I just don't get it. But anyways, he then tweeted something a little later, uh, not much later, but saying um, something along the lines of, Adam Gase uh, making a statement and the way you make a statement is, is through the trade deadline, something of that nature. So right then and there, we knew something was about to happen, but that it had to do with Jarvis Landry, because as we had said on the show numerous times uh, since this past summer, we'll get into this in a little bit because there's a lot of confusion there. We had said that Jarvis Landry was on the trade lock and the Dolphins were trying to trade him as uh, early as the draft and before the draft. And nothing ever materialized. But then again, you know, as the season went on and Jarvis was kind of doing his own thing most of the time and Adam Gase was getting a little frustrated with him, the trade rumors picked up some steam. And we all thought it was Jarvis and everyone was tweeting Jarvis. Armando Salguero was tweeting about Jarvis. I was tweeting about Jarvis. Other guys were tweeting about Jarvis. Some guys were saying, no, Jarvis is not going anywhere. Literally like 20 minutes later, Omar Kelly, of all people, the Sun Sentinel, breaks the news that the Dolphins are sending uh, Jay Ajayi to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think everyone at that point was just kind of stunned. I mean, we knew Adam Gase in his press conference after the game on Thursday and the day after press conference on Friday when they lost to the Baltimore Ravens, had min- didn't mince any words and came right after the running backs, and especially Jay Ajayi without naming any names, saying, you know, the star players on the team, it starts with them. They need to go home and study the playbook. They need to go home and study the game plan. And they just weren't doing it. Backs are trying to hit home runs all the time instead of doing their job. And everyone knew he was talking about Jay Ajayi. But I don't think anyone really expected Jay Ajayi to get traded. I mean, despite success he's had this year on the ground, a lot of people are attributing that to the offensive line. I mean, the dude has contact around the exact numbers in front of me, but he's the league leader in yards after contact. And he's just a brutal, physical, violent runner. When he gets going, you can control the entire game. So especially when the Dolphins traded him for a fourth rounder, I think a lot of jaws drop. So we'll get into the details. But Sutton, I just want to hear your initial reaction as when uh, they did send that uh, trade through to the Eagles for a fourth rounder. What was your thoughts? It was kind of the equivalent experience for me when we were waiting to find out what happened with Ryan Tannehill and his knee. My whole workday was just completely screwed. Um, I was constantly checking my phone, seeing what was going on. You know, then you mix in the Landry rumors and stuff, and all of a sudden you're looking at a completely different team. But just to go back to Ajayi, I mean, this whole year on Finsider Radio, we've been harping about this offense funnels through him. The play-action passing game funnels 
through Jay Ajayi. This was the center of our offense. And when the team makes a move like this, really as a fan, you kind of have to just step back and just contemplate it. Did we have it wrong? You know, did we not have the full picture? Did we not um, kind of see the force through the trees, so to speak, as this season has unfolded? And I've seen some chatter about Adam Gase and whether there's a parallel with Joe Philbin and how he got rid of some of the quote-unquote alpha personalities to have beta personalities in the locker room. I don't see this happening at all. If anything, if we take the, the reports at face value that he was complaining after a team win, complaining about not getting carries, then Adam Gase is getting rid of the beta personality. The Cam, Cam Wakes in the locker room, the Dominican Sue's in the locker room, those are the alpha personalities there. So still a lot of details that we don't know. You know, you have to factor in we – we sacrificed Ajayi for a fourth rounder. So did we get the return that we could have? And I also saw something where we reached out to the Eagles, not vice versa. So it's kind of hard to understand what the market was for Jay Ajayi. And did we get the best deal considering the circumstances? Like if we were dead set on getting rid of him, did we get the best value that we could? Or was there more of a market we could have leveraged teams against each other and got some better return? At any rate, this is what happened. We're going to have to deal with it going forward. And I'm in a position where I still trust Adam Gase. And it's one of those things where, you know, if a coach is 0-10 at the time and gets rid of somebody, it gets seen as a weakness. If Bill Belichick is 12-1 and and gets rid of, of a stud player just because he can, it's seen as a strength. So it's all based on wins and losses. And Adam Gase still has the wins and losses at his back. So I think we can still trust the judgment going forward, but man, it created a lot of questions that I don't think we have answers to at this point. Yeah. So we're going to try to break down a little bit because some stuff did come out in regards to, trade Jay Ajayi and of course this always happens right when a person gets traded when a person leaves the team be a free agency or trade as I just mentioned if a person if a coach is fired if a general manager is fired if anyone in the front office who's notable is fired all the dirt starts to come out and Armando Salguero reported that Jay Ajayi locker room because he didn't get enough carries in a game in which the Dolphins won out saying that he was mad and upset that the Dolphins didn't hand in the ball to score a touchdown when they tied the game against an unnamed opponent recently. Another report said on the Dan Patrick show, he asked the Dolphins for an extension. The Dolphins said no. To blame them, he's had one good season, and he needs to prove himself some more. And he got mad from there, and the relationship went south ever since then. Other reports said that he was very cold to reporters, and, and Antoine Staley actually said no comment when, when someone asked him about how J.H.I. treated the reporters, and that's about all you need to hear in that respect. Um, other reports came out. He was um, go to the locker room with his teammates. He complained to his running backs coach about the lack of touches he was getting. Never talked to Adam Gase one-on-one about it. The coaching staff and the other players on the team to voice his concerns. And obviously nothing ever changed because 
the guy that can control it all is to talk to him about it. And then, of course, we heard from Indomitian Sue today when asked about Ajayi being traded and did it send a message to the locker room. Indomitian Sue said, a message to the locker room, but I can tell you that Coach Gase expects people to be on time their responsibilities at the same time. And I think that sheds light on what Ajayi was not during his Dolphins tenure. And Adam Gase was a little more politically correct, saying, you know, they had their ups and downs, but it was just time for them to move on. Went sour almost immediately when Adam Gase took over. He was deactivated week one of the 2015 regular season against the Seahawks, left back home in Miami. And as we have said on this show many times, <laughs> Jay Ajayi would have been cut last year had Arian Foster and uh, I even forget who the running backs were now at that time. But there were several injuries in the running back room, and the only reason why J.H.I. remained on the team was because these running backs were hurt. Isaiah Pete, that was the other guy, mm -hmm. an injury as well. So that's the only reason why J.H.I. remained on the team. Otherwise, he would have been caught, and we would have never known that J.H.I. could have been this way. So the Dolphins drafted him in the fifth round with what he dropped, chronic knee issues um, The were chirp chipping away inside. And many feel that he will not get to a second contract, or if he does, he's not going to last very long beyond that. And the Dolphins feel the same way. The Dolphins hinted at such. Adam Gase said in his press conference on Wednesday morning, <laughs> the Dolphins were thinking long-term when they did this trade. They were not thinking only about this season, but what were in their plans for the future. And that made it very clear they did not plan on bringing Ajay Ajayi back for a second contract. This is why they didn't grant his contract extension. One, because of his knees. Two, because he had a one good season only. And three, he wasn't in their long-term plans, most likely because of his knees. And, and, you know, it was just all a perfect storm coming together. Philadelphia Eagles, who Mike Tannenbaum has a tremendous relationship with, putting it on the line for a fourth-round pick trade. And people are upset that it was only a fourth-round pick. But when you factor in all of that, I think that the fact you can get a fourth-round pick on a chance of a guy who has character concerns like that, you take what you can get at that point, addition by subtraction. Same thing that happened with Mike Wallace. The Dolphins didn't miss a beat when they lost Mike Wallace. They actually got better. They're on the ground with Kenyon Drank and Damian Williams. I don't know. Time will tell. But, but this is where we are right now. And JHI is no longer a part of the team. And he is out in Philadelphia, and he's a tremendous talent on the field. I am not going to deny that, but he was a cancer in the locker room. Your thoughts, Sign? Well, like he said, last year, week one, he's left back in Seattle. So the precedent is set there. And I think we as fans were oblivious to some of the inner locker room stuff that happens. And we all know Adam Gase protects his players like Mother Bear. So you, you just wonder if any of that stuff had lingered, even through last year when he was having success. You saw it rear its ugly head this year, if we, we take these reports at, at face value. So if that's the case and he's undermining the team concept for individual goals, then that is – you're setting yourself up to be made an example of and in a in the ultimate team sport like football 
I mean, granted, we have wide receiver divas and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, this is a fraternity of brothers playing together, going to war together. And if you are contemplating the fact, if someone is cherishing their individual goals and individual stats over the team's success, then then you might be having your head put on a spike, and that's what happened with Jay Ajayi here. So this is where the Dolphins are now. Kenyon Drake, Damian Williams, Sonoris Perry, their running back room. And Adam Gay said he likes where the running back room is right now. He said he's not going to make any changes. He said he did not inquire about any running backs. Obviously, we don't know if that's true or not because they'll never tell us that. Where they may have been targeting Carlos Hyde of the 49ers or any other guy out there as well who's, who was looking for a trade. But games, we think it's going to be Kenyon Drake just based on what Adam Gay said in his press conference. We think it's Kenyon Drake's uh, position to lose. We think then Damian Williams would come in on third down, uh, catching ability, although he has struggled again in the run-blocking game against the Ravens. He is known to be smart at picking up the playbook uh, pretty well. They do their job if they just get what they can get, like Adam Gase wants them to do. Effective again. I'm kind of excited to see what they can do because it's supposed to work the way it's supposed to be designed, right? Or the way it's, it works based on the way it's designed. Then the Dolphins running game should be effective. If they're getting three, four yards, that's fine. Yards, four yards, two yards, three yards. You keep getting those. You keep adding up. And then, boom, you hit them with the play action. For the home run every time. And it's not working. So when your running game isn't working, you can't get that play action and hit and, and then open up your offense. So I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to bring Oakland Raiders. And to be honest, I don't think they're going to miss a beat. I'll be completely honest with you. Yeah, Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams, they can't break the tackles like Ajayi did. Are they going to wear down defenses? I don't think so. In terms of having an effective running game, I think the Dolphins are going to be just fine. And I think Adam Gase knows that. And listen, Mike Pouncey said in this press conference on Wednesday morning, the message that Adam Gase said, if you're not on board, then you're not going to be here. And that's basically what it is. Adam Gates has tremendous job security. He is not going anywhere going to be. All right, let's move on to Jarvis Landry. There is so much smoke around Jarvis Landry Sutton, and I don't think anybody knows what to believe anymore. I mean, there is rumors that he was going to be traded, rumors that he wasn't going to be traded. You know, I, I don't think that anybody uh, understands where all the smoke is coming from. Yeah, it's really hard to make sense of all the Jarvis Landry uh, conjecture out there. You know, you saw reports that we were asking for a first rounder. You saw that we were never intent on trading him. We saw that we were that he was on the trade block. You saw Odell Beckham Jr. tweeting about where Jarvis might end up. So really a whirlwind surrounding him and it and this is really the the tip of the iceberg too because this has been kind of an ongoing conversation with Dolphins fans and really what I think it boils down to and might be getting a little too deep for Finsider Radio we just try to drink beer and skim the surface 
But when you talk about Jarvis Landry, you're really talking about what's the value of a slot wide receiver in the NFL. And what I came up with is it, it's really a different answer for each team. So if you look at someone like the New England Patriots and you look at their scheme, their whole offense funnels through the slot wide receiver. So the slot wide receiver is very important in that system. If you look at someone like the Chargers or someone like the Broncos or something, they are much more perimeter-oriented team where they're throwing the ball to their X and Z receivers on the sidelines. So what we really – what it all boils down to is, is this a player – that's going to make us better? And is it going to be someone that we can build our team around? What Armando Salguero was hinting at today, and I, I believe he's trying to connect the dots between some of the stuff that Adam Gase has said in his press conferences where he said that Jarvis is in our long-term wide receiver group but was noncommittal about signing him for next year. He threw out the possibility of the franchise tag. So there's a possibility that that's going to happen, which would I, – I, I don't know off the top of my head what the franchise tag figure was for wide receivers this year, but I'd imagine it's in the $15, $18 million range. Yeah, it's about $15 million. Okay, so it really depends, and I've said this numerous times, and I'm going to stick with it. We as fans overblow money, and if this is a guy that we want to keep, we will find a way to do it. Jarvis Landry is such a polarizing figure, and we've said this before because he's such a likable guy on the field. And, and someone on Twitter put it best, and I forget who it was, and I wish I could give them credit for it because it really kind of bold moment. Dolphins fans love Jarvis Landry because he cares about winning and losing just as much as the fans. I've known yeah. that some players in the NFL don't care whether they win or lose. Fans generally care more about winning and losing than the players do. Situations. We know that some players hate playing football, but it's all they know, and it's the only way they can provide and and, and make money and have a career. We know there aren't a ton of well, I shouldn't say ton. We know there are players out there who don't love the game. It's the game. He loves playing football. He gets excited when we win. And the Dolphins lose. And that's just like a fan. So I, he relates to the fans well in terms of his personality. And I think that's why fans love him. Don't get me wrong. But like you said, he's a slot receiver. Or is a slot receiver. Because the ultimate goal is the Super Bowl. Is a slot receiver going to lead your team to a Super Bowl? I would say no, right? I have a dynamite outside receiver. Possibly two dynamite outside receivers. And slot guys can only do so much. They're not going to get the big chunk yardage plays that you need when the game's on the line and you're running down with a two-minute drill. There for that, but he's been injured. So that creates another Dolphins have to figure out, well, can they count on Devontae Parker? And yes, Adam Gase said Wednesday morning that Jarvis Landry is a big part of the wide receiver room. He wants him to stay there, but at the end of the day, he does not handle the contracts. So I think that may have been a little jab at the front office. I think Adam Gase does want Jarvis in Miami, but I think the front office might think differently. Plays out because it's going to be very, very interesting. Dolphins aren't thrilled with Landry in terms of sometimes not doing everything he needs to be doing, but I think Gase is willing to work with him because he's such a dynamite player. Now, there are rumors that the 
first-round pick. I don't think anybody will ever know. But the fact of the matter is this. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Jarvis Landry put something up on Instagram about where you started. It's about where you're going to or something of that nature. Odell Beckham got in on it and started tweeting out some nonsense. Ace comes out and says, oh, no, we, we never were ever going to trade him. I, I call BS on that, of course. <laughs> I think we all call BS. We all call BS on that because much smoke for this to be going on. So rumors were they were looking for a first round pick. Rumors were that Buffalo Bills offered them a second round pick, but of course, the Dolphins are not dealing Jarvis Landry to a division rival. And can I also say that it's absolutely ridiculous that people were thinking that he was going to go to the Patriots? I mean, come on, guys and girls, do you really think Adam Gase is going to trade Jarvis Landry to the Patriots? You would be absolutely out of your mind to do that. And if he did, well, he should be fired on the spot. And no, don't compare him to Wes Welker because Wes Welker was not Wes Welker when he was in Miami. And Wes Welker was not anywhere near Jarvis Landry is when Wes Welker was traded to the Patriots for a second round pick, I believe it was, and then some change. Wes Welker in New England. All right, so the two situations are completely different. I get very frustrated and people compare the two because they are nothing of the same. And one other, one other thing about, about J.H.I. real quick. I saw people uh, saying that how can Jimmy Garoppolo get a second-round pick to the, for the Patriots, but a Pro Bowl running back can only net a fourth-round pick? Wow. I, I, find that, <laughs> I find that discussion point extremely silly. running back is one of the easiest positions, if not the easiest to replace even in the draft rookies can make an immediate impact. Yeah. Quarterbacks are the hardest position to replace in the NFL. I was just going to say, yeah, go ahead. I I was just going to say, if there's anything evident in the NFL landscape is that running back is a devalued position. And this is a QB. It's not a QB. Uh, needy league. It's a QB starved league. There are so many teams yeah. who do not who do not have competent quarterback play that they're willing to trade precious draft capital to roll the dice on someone who's barely played. Yeah, I just think it's very silly. We see teams trying to find quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. I mean, how long did the Dolphins try to find a quarterback? The Browns have been trying to find a quarterback for forever. Uh, the Bills. Here and there trying to find a quarterback. They got Tyrod Taylor, but they're not fully sold on him. Jets are still trying to find a quarterback. 49ers are trying to find a quarterback. Hopefully they got their guy in Jimmy G. But, I mean, quarterbacks are a dime a dozen. I'm sorry, not a dime a dozen. They're, they're very hard to find. I was trying to think of a different phrase, and it's just late, and I, I drank <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Excuse, excuse me. I drank one beer. Um, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, even in the draft, you have a first-round quarterback, a first top overall quarterback, and there's nothing guaranteed about that position to replace on the field or top three easiest position to replace quarterback. Definitely the hardest position to replace. That's why they're going for high picks. Stop comparing a running back to a quarterback. My rant is over. All right, back to Landry. Uh, Sutton, I know it's all hypothetical and in the PR world where I do public relations in real life, we always try to avoid what if questions, but we are not in the PR world right now. So what do you think is going to happen with Landry down the road? Well, let me make a quick point, too, and the one knock against Juice 
has been his lack of touchdown production, and we're seeing that start to turn around this year. So I don't know if he can continue that upward trajectory. And there, there were a few plays where he could have even had more touchdowns than he already has this year. So if he can kind of cross that off his checklist, then he's putting himself in a position to make a lot of money. Whether it's from us or from some other team, that's yet to be determined. But this kind of funnels into a question from one of my favorite people on Twitter. His name's Nathan Rice. It's at NG, NJ Rice 2004 And he just asked, if Landry isn't on the team next season, do you think someone on the roster takes his spot or do we go through the draft? And I think we have a clear contingency in place if that's the route we go. Again, just to backtrack just real quick, the real question that we need to answer about Jarvis Landry is, A, is this someone that we want on our team for a few more years? And B, is this a player that we can build around? And C, is the contract we're going to give him, can he live up to that with his production? Those are the three questions that the front office needs to answer about Jarvis Landry. But if they decide no, and you've already kind of alluded to it, that there might be a rift between Gase and the front office and perhaps give further evidence for Adam Gase wanting more control over the team, but that will be a topic for another day. I would, I would think that Leontay Carew is the natural replacement there. We invested too much draft capital in him to not, get the catches and reps that we've seen so far from him. So I would think that if Landry ends up leaving the Dolphins after this year, we would go forward with a Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, Leontay Carew combination. And then you still have Isaiah Ford, uh, who's on IR this year, who could possibly sneak in and, and make a name for himself. I, I agree with you on all counts. And it's going to be one heck of a decision for the Dolphins to make might end up being the point where Adam Gase to Stephen Ross and says that he wants full control. Because if he wants full control of the team and he wants to win, he's going to do it with his guys. And I find it interesting, right? Jay Ajayi out the way. Supposedly the rumors about Landry shipping him out, but we don't really know the true thoughts about that. Uh, you know, just Gase kind of doing his thing. of influence in the organization already. He doesn't have full control quite yet. We just kind of, I think it's going to be a matter of when, not if, of the organization. And they can franchise Landry next year, give it another year, see if he changes, see if he starts doing things the way they want to 100% of the time. Um, or they can see if he kind of falls off the wayside there before committing to him for the long term. One interesting decision to make, a lot of changes to this offense in the offseason. They're going to kind of scratch it like they did defense this past offseason, and they're going to try to get back on track. Obviously not the way they want it because – Adam Gates in his first year as head coach in the draft went all offense, basically. Wanted to get his offense set up. You know, Jakeem Grant, Leontay Carew, Kenya Drake, those guys there. And it's kind of not working out. But then again, those guys haven't fully played yet. So we'll see how this offense shakes out the rest of the season. And we will get that look as the Dolphins take on the Raiders on Sunday night football and the Dolphins in primetime three straight weeks in a row. And you notice we spent absolutely zero time on the Baltimore Ravens game. There's no time at all. It was an absolute embarrassment. It was an absolute disaster. And the Dolphins should never be allowed to play the Ravens on Thursday night football. Again, because the, <laughs> Ravens own the, Dol- the Ravens own the Dolphins. It is not even a, a question right now. The Dolphins have not beaten the Ravens in several years, uh, 
almost a decade, I think it is actually. It's just an embarrassment every time the Dolphins play them. Seventy-eight to six. Those that's the combined oh. score of the last two games. And I didn't think I mean we talked about, you know, last podcast before the Baltimore game. I was sitting there bitching about how much that game sucked that I went to. And I can't imagine yeah. the people that made the trek to Baltimore this year to watch a, a shutout complete shit fest. So sorry for anybody that was there. And yeah, just it's it's time to move on. We gotta we gotta get this ship righted right now. Adam Gaze is not a good head coach on Thursday night football. Embarrassed this year on Thursday night football, embarrassed last year on Thursday night football. The Ravens embarrass the Dolphins every time they play them. This game deserves zero attention. It was an absolute disaster, and we are going to move on to Sunday's game against the Oakland Raiders. So let's see, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, what we have going on against the Ravens, because it's going to be an interesting matchup. As as, as uh, scary as the Raiders sound with Amari Cooper and Marshawn Lynch and Derek Carr, well, they haven't been uh, sitting on fire lately. They've been actually struggling um, this season with Amari Cooper battling some kind of injury, not playing well at all except the game against the Chiefs. The Raiders are 3-5, and five, last place in a very tough AFC West. Only scored 169 points this season, allowed 190. They are 1-3 on the road. They lost their last game. They are 2-2 two two at home in comparison to Miami Dolphins, and it's hard to remember their 4-3 with everything going on. Now, the Dolphins have only scored 92 points, and they have allowed <laughs> 152 points. I mean, that is a crazy differential, negative 60. And to be sitting at 4-3, and three, one game out of first place, is absolutely insane. Yeah, absurd. Um, that, that is crazy. They're 2-1 and one at home right now, and uh, yeah, it's going to be rough. So their one home game of the loss, that was the Saints game because that was considered a home game oh, in London. But in Hard Rock this season, they are 2-0. and oh. So let's look at the uh, Oakland Raiders here in terms of what they run, in terms of what they line up is. So they run a 3-4, like a lot of the teams that Dolphins have played this year. Adam Gase made an interesting comment on Wednesday morning during his press conference. He said, a lot of defenses are changing up their scheme when they play the Dolphins. It's not what the Dolphins are seeing on film. So they're coming in a little surprised when they see what other teams are bringing against them. Mario Edwards on the front line at right end, Justin Ellis in the middle, and Eddie Vander does at uh, left end. Khalil Mack, of course, the Dolphins are going to have to keep a tight eye on, and Bruce Irvin on the other side as well, who the Dolphins really wanted in a free agency before he went to the uh, Raiders. Navarro Bowman, who recently got cut by the 49ers, and Nicholas Morrow in the middle linebacker spots. Dexter McDonald at the right cornerback position, TJ Carey at the left cornerback position, Reggie Nelson and Shalom Luani heading up the center field position as safeties in the secondary. So for me, you know, you got to keep your eyes on Khalil Mack. He's going to be lining up against Jawan James most of the time. Uh, Julius Thomas, I don't think we'll see a ton of him blocking Mack. I think we'll see Fasano lining up on the right side. The Dolphins offensive line definitely has their work cut out for them. If they can get, uh, they can get the protection that Lee is playing needs they can uh, exploit some holes in the adult in the Raiders secondary, especially with Devonte Parker coming back to play. So for you, Sutton, you know, just hearing it, looking at the Raiders, um, how would you attack their overall defense? Well, attacking their defense, they they're below average in just about every statistical category. 
21st versus the pass, 22nd versus the run, 23rd in points. So I think he really keyed on the, the main thing. We just have to get Khalil Mack. We always have to identify where he is on the field. I'm a little bit worried about going against the 3-4 just because it just doesn't seem like our offense jives against the 3-4 for whatever reason. But I think this is a great opportunity for a bounce-back game for us. We should have Devontae Parker back for us, so that should hopefully open up the passing game a little bit more. And what we failed to mention with the whole Jay Ajayi thing is, you know, obviously we have Damian Williams and, and Kenyon Drake in there. Those are both capable pass catchers. And when Jay Ajayi came out of college, you know, he, he had plenty of catches out of that Boise system, but never really materialized in the NFL. So to be able to hit those passes to the flat, uh, those angle routes, um, all those kind of chip block and then leak out into the middle of the field. I think we're going to be able to get a little bit more chunk yardage with Damian Williams and Kenyon Drake in there. And I think we wanted to see more Kenyon Drake anyway. He's one of the best big play players that we have on this team. And we've seen it on tape already. So I really think it's going to, this offense always seems to jive better when we spread the ball around. So we're going to get touches for Williams, going to get touches for Drake. We got to get Parker involved, get Landry involved, get Stills in there. And when we're spreading the ball around, then it's a lot tougher for defenses to key in on what we're doing. When it gets really hard for us is when it seems like we're forcing the ball to Ajayi and we were forcing the ball to Landry and teams would just take that away and then no one else was getting separation or making plays and then it looks like a clown car of sadness. So what we're going to have to do is, is spread the ball. If we can establish the run, that's going to be huge. What I'm looking for in this offense is can we get in better down and distance, please? Adam Gase said in his press conference, he can't count how many times we've been in third and 10, third and 11, third and 13. Whether that's penalties or just bad execution on offense, we're just – not getting in a good position to make first downs. And that's where Jarvis Landry makes his money is extending drives and moving the chains. And we're just too far away from the first down to make that happen. So if we can get in better down and distance and get those first downs and get into the red zone, like Jarvis Landry said, once we get into the red zone, we're a pretty good scoring team. We just haven't been able to move the ball into the red zone yet. So let's get a couple lengthy drives and let's punch the ball in. And God forbid we actually get out to a lead in the first quarter. Who knows what this team could do? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And in and, and Wednesday's practice, players said there was a sense of urgency. There is a sense of optimism. And, and maybe that we're into Sunday's game versus the Raiders. Now on the offensive side of the ball for the Miami Dolphins, uh, when they're playing against the Raiders offense, you got Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper has struggled this year. I'm not too concerned about him. I think that Tinkersley will do a good job keeping him in check just because of the bad season he's been having. The Dolphins need to keep an eye on Jared Cook. Of course, Derek Carr can strike at any moment, but he's been struggling this year, of course, with his injury. And Jalen Richard at the running back position, uh, spelled by Marshawn Lynch. The Raiders' offensive line isn't the greatest. It's kind of like the Dolphins' offensive line, but a little bit better. Their main guy, Rodney Hudson, in the center. PFF grade of 83 overall. Their tight ends, like I just mentioned, Lee Smith and Jared Cook, with Cook doing the most damage, getting a lot of targets recently. Crabtree is a great player, though, so don't underestimate him. 
Um, I mean, you also got their fullback, who, who they use. Not a lot of teams use a fullback these days, so the Dolphins will have to deal with that. But Michael Thomas, the guy to keep your eye on, coming in for the injured Nate Allen last game, he was rated by PFF as one of the top three safeties of the week against the Ravens. So I'm excited to see what he can do there. Timmons, of course, continuing his good play. If the Dolphins break their habits on defense of trying to do too much and staying true to their assignments, they can do a good job against this Raiders defense. And, of course, they'll have their home crowd with them. Now, Xavier Howard has improved each game here throughout the season. He is getting better after that controversy we had with me tweeting that he might be a bust. Charles Harris is coming along nicely. Jordan Phillips had a rough game against the Ravens. Hopefully he turns it around. Dominic Sue, of course, dominant. And William Hayes, great against the run. So like I said, I think the key is for the Dolphins, obviously the key is always to get good pass rush on the quarterback and make him move in the pocket. Remember, Derek Carr does have an injured back. He is playing through that injury. I don't think it's fully healed, as some may suggest or some may think. And, you know, it's just a matter of getting him moving around in the pocket a little bit, trying to test out that back and forcing it, him to check down instead of allowing Crabtree and Cooper to make big plays because we know they both can make good plays when given the opportunity, and the Dolphins need to just keep that in check. If Charles Harris, Jordan Phillips, and Dominic Sue and William Hayes can make this Raiders offense one-dimensional, the Dolphins will be on their way to a win. Defense has to hold up their end of the bargain by keeping the defense off the field for as long as they possibly could. So I'm not sure if you want to add anything to that. Yeah. I'm, well, first of all, one thing I don't think we'll talk about that I just want to mention real quick is I wish, I wish this game got flexed out and we actually played at one o'clock. Those are the types of games that are a little bit harder for those West coast teams to play. Um, yeah, but w- 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 with that aside, we're going to go out and we're going to play our best game. And what I noticed about the Raiders is they're 28th in turnovers. And let, let me just throw a couple stats out there for you f- for Derek Carr. And and the three and five record has to be mitigated a little bit with Derek Carr being injured for two games. But just listen to this. In, in the Oakland wins this year, he has eight touchdowns and zero interceptions. In the losses, he has four touchdowns and six interceptions. So I think the key to this game, stopping the Oakland offense, is to make them one-dimensional. Now, Marshawn Lynch, as much as I love all the videos of him and he seems like a really good-natured, fun guy, I think he's a, he's a shell of his Seattle self. And I think the, the big thing for us is going to be tackling. And we've seen a couple – the, the Ravens game and the game before that, we saw too many missed tackles. We've seen Rashad Jones missed tackles. And PFF noted that Lawrence Timmons missed four tackles in the last game. So we absolutely, this is one running back where we cannot afford to come in with sloppy tackling techniques. So if we can get him down on the ground, get that run game stopped early, then I think we're going to be able to tee off on Derek Carr, because if you look at that right side of the offensive line, that's where they're weak, and that's where Cam Wake is going to make his money. So I think Cam Wake is going to make a long day for Derek Carr. At the same time, I think Oakland's – their attack is going to be through the air, in my opinion. And what I found was Miami gives up the highest completion percentage in the league. So I think they're going to attack our young secondary – so Cordrea Tankersley, Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain, 
be ready for Sunday night because they're going to be coming at you. So let's make some plays. And clearly, if we're able to make a couple of plays, we're going to be putting Oakland in a very compromised situation. And I'm looking forward to the way the Dolphins are preparing for this game against the Raiders. Adam Gase said in his press conference Wednesday morning, we've got to find the right way to teach. We've got to find the right way to learn. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over and banging our head against the wall. We need to change the way we prepare, the way we practice, the way we go through walkthroughs, the way we do meetings, and the way we teach our players. So we'll see what kind of changes they made this week in, in terms of prepping the guys. Hopefully they can open up their playbook a little more, and hopefully we see a, a good brand of football instead of what we've been seeing the past several weeks. All right, before we close out the show with some thoughts on Adam Gates, let's head on over to the Finsider Radio Mailbag. question we have up today? So we have um, – I'm going to kind of combine the, the Finsider Radio Mailbag with some of the Twitter questions we received. We got a couple of good questions about Adam Gates that I feel like we've already covered so far. One from at okay. Ru- Ruby Ips, R-U-B-I-E-I-P-S. And from uh, A. Granado, who uh, follows us regularly, so we appreciate his question. I'm going to jump into a question from Dolphin Fan and KY. I assume that means Kentucky, but it could be KY Jelly, for all we know. (laughs) But the question is, I'm digging the QB controversy. Tannehill is 10 times better than Cutler. Cutler's better than Tannehill. Cutler sucks. We want more. More is better than Cutler. Hey, more is better than Tannehill. We need fails. Dowdy sucks. How long before the fans beg for fails to replace more over under is two games. Unfortunately, and I'll just take this real quick because I'm sure we're on the same wavelength there. That's we're not going to be able to escape the quarterback questions until Tannehill is playing live football on Sundays next year. So we're, we're we're not going to be able to circumvent that at all. Right. No, I completely agree with you. 100%. Okay. So, do, um, do you want to take a question from Alpha? And it's not um, a typical Alpha question. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, what is okay. it? Okay. So Alpha's question is half the season's gone. The draft is half a year away. I see the first three picks on offensive line and cornerback. Fourth pick could be used on running back. Do any of you see a worthy player at that round? Honestly, Alpha, I have not started studying the draft. I don't really start looking at the draft until after free agency. Because for me, so much can change between now and free agency. Because what teams do in the draft depend on what they do in free agency. So I can't get into that at this point. So I'm, and I don't know if you've been looking at any college prospects. Um, I'll just throw out one name, Cameron Petway from, from Auburn, who uh, unfortunately suffered an injury. But he's six foot two thirty five, and that's the one kind of running back where – we might be a little bit light in terms of getting the third and shorts, the goal line back. We don't have anybody that large anymore. So Kenyon Drake, Damian Williams are kind of fill the same niche. So you're, you're wondering how that's going to play out. We could probably use a bigger back, but maybe Sonoris Perry uh, fills into that role. But at the end of the day, so many draft boards change, even between the combine and the draft. So, let alone multiple games left in the college football season. So there's going to be a lot of volatility in terms of ranking college players at this point. Absolutely. A lot of, a lot of so, football has to be played, a lot of moves to be made still. Okay, so have a question from ST1943. This is from the Finsider Radio mailbag on the Finsider.com. And I'll admit that 
Um, he is frustrated with the whole situation, and I will not read the whole thing because we don't have the time to do so. But he did ask a very legitimate question about how the front office works, and I think this is going to be a perfect question for you, MC Money. He basically says, uh, in his defense, and he's talking about Greer, Tannenbaum, the whole front office, I will admit that this year's draft looks pretty solid. Tankersley a Steele, Godshaw, and Taylor looking like great value for where they were picked. But my impression was that Greer is the draft guy and that Tannenbaum is more the cap player negotiation and in-season roster management guy. Is that accurate? Close. Tannenbaum is the executive vice president of football operations. And usually a general manager comes in, and when they are the general manager and the general manager alone, they control pretty much the entire organization in terms of the football side of things. When people think of the general manager, all they think of is scouting and draft and, and trades and free agency, right? Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. The general manager has to deal with the video department, the graphics department, the marketing department on the football side. Uh, the, uh, did I say the video department already? Yes, I did. They have, to deal with the PR, they have to deal with the PR department. They are the CEO of the football side. And it's not just the player uh, management. That is their primary focus, yes, but they also oversee everything else. So what they did is Mike Tannenbaum came in, or they put Tannenbaum in that position. He oversees all that. He takes care of all the uh, overhead stuff, all of the management overseeing all the different departments. Uh, I also need to add equipment manager in there as well, and then equipment department and travel and, and so forth. Chris Greer is the general manager, and what he's focused on is the player acquisition, the scouting department. That's what he runs. So he's in charge of the draft. He's in charge of getting all the reports ready for the coaching staff and everyone else. And you got Adam Gase, who has gotten a lot more influence in the organization, and he's close to getting full control. It's a matter of when, not if. I predict within the next two to two years. So that's that three-tier structure. Does Tannenbaum still have his hand in player acquisition and stuff? I think he does. I think he handles the trade issue with it with uh, Chris Greer. And then they tell Adam Gase, and Adam Gase kind of gives him advice there or guidance and says what he wants, what he needs, and what his thoughts are. Um, but I think they have a pretty good system right now. I Obviously, there is always tension when one wants something and one wants the other. The only way you can get rid of that is if you have one person, like the head coach, in charge of everything. But that brings me back to my other point, where if you give Adam Gase full control, then you're adding all those other departments to his responsibilities. So... There's no easy answer as to whether what structure works and what structure doesn't, but that is the uh, that is the answer in terms of how the front office is structured here in Miami. Okay, have a, have a couple of good questions from Redwood on the Finsider Radio mailbag. Uh, his first question was about Ajayi and how it relates to the personalities and gays. So I feel like we've touched on that pretty extensively tonight. His uh -huh. second question is: Please comment on what you have seen from Charles Harris so far regarding his ability to set the edge against the run. Um, I'm going to throw this one to you, but I just want to comment real quick that before the Baltimore game, I did hear that Matt Burke said that he doesn't have a problem with it. But after that Baltimore game, everybody had problems <laughs> doing everything. So it, it's we'll kind of have to go back to the drawing board on that one. But let, let me throw that one to you. What have you seen from Charles Harris in terms of stopping the run and setting the edge? Yeah, that Baltimore game, they rushed a lot up the middle with Ndamukong Sue and Jordan Phillips and Devon Gottschalk just over-pursuing up the middle. Now they were just finding holes right up there in the, in the seams there in the gaps. 
But Charles Harris has improved every game in terms of his setting the edge and defending the run. He's going to only get better as we go on. We knew that was a weakness of his coming in, but he has worked to improve. I don't see a huge deal with it right now. Obviously, he's not perfect, and he will eventually get there. He still has some help with Kiko uh, behind him usually, and Xavier Howard, who's a good tackler, although struggled against the Ravens. Everyone struggled against the Ravens. Um, so we'll see how he continues to improve. But the thing with Charles Harris in terms of rushing the passer as well, a lot of his uh, impact does not show up in the box score. He has a ton of quarterback hurries and, and a, a mm-hmm. ton of disrupting mm-hmm. the pocket and a ton of forcing the quarterback to throw it early or to throw it away. He has tremendous speed. His spin move is devastating. When you're looking at stats with Charles Harris, don't get caught up in the stats. He's done so much to affect the quarterback and their decision-making, and it's not going to show up in the box score at all. Just watch the game, watch the film. He's a great player, and he's only going to get better. And he's very close to getting sacks, and I think Cam Wake said it too um, a few years ago that some when he was at one point when he was first starting out, always so close to getting that sack, and then all of a sudden it just clicked. He got there. It's that half second early that you got to be, and Charles Harris will get there. Uh, and we knew All he right. had a we knew he had a devastating spin move in college, and it's it's seems like he's slowly figuring out how to project that onto the NFL tackles. So and they look are forward to seeing his it. development. Absolutely, yep, they um, are struggling with it. Redwood's other question is: After Byron Maxwell was released last week, I checked out Miami's defensive snap stats and found out that since the Saints game, basically all cornerback snaps had gone to Howard Tankersley and McCain. I thought you could never have too many yeah. C- CBs in the NFL. Does this mean that Miami is never playing any dime packages on defense? So I'm trying to think, and they don't play a ton of dime packages. They like to play the nickel a lot. They, they did go into a dime a little bit. Uh, I can't remember which game it was, but they did go into the dime a little bit. And then that's when they bring in – that's when they were bringing in Michael Thomas and Walt Aikens and other guys like that. Their base is the nickel. Um, they, they, they do play, obviously, on early downs, the 4-3. But their base is the nickel in terms of that. And, yeah, you're right. Alteron Werner hasn't fully gotten in yet. And um, those well, and three he, guys. And, and, and he, what, he he got burned. Was it week one or week two on a long pass? And we haven't yeah. really. We haven't right really, to Robbie Anderson. Yeah, we haven't really heard much from him since. So you wonder if it's just an indictment of the depth. So maybe he has Redwood has a point there that. We're going to need some depth there. Um, at the same time, you have to like the young nucleus so far. Bobby McCain has made plays, made that huge play against the Jets and is our highest-graded cornerback as of right now. Xavier uh, Howard seems to be making steps, like you said earlier, and Tankersley has co- clearly put some good tape, uh, got picked on a little bit last week. But there's still some really good tape on there, some really good things to, uh, to look forward to with him. Let me, throw, yep. let me throw one more question to you, and I think we could wrap things up. This is from Mike PS 78 on Twitter, one of my favorite dudes in the whole world. Hilarious. He asked, <laughs> asked, why has it taken this long for Matt to figure out hashtag Landry Gang Gang? Care to comment? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> okay, let me give you a real question. This is from I have no 30- idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> this is from 39 is number one, one of our uh, – another loyal listener of us. Uh, really appreciate his questions week in, week out. 
And this is a very general question. We can take this a whole number of ways. I think I speak for most Dolphins fans when I ask the question, so what now? And I think what he's really getting at is what can we expect of our team the rest of the year? And wow, this is going to be a great barometer for Oakland because they're really kind of in the middle of every statistical category. So you can see this going any number of ways. You can see us coming out, being pissed off, lost 40 to nothing, had a little extra rest, had that mini buy, so to speak, after that Thursday game. So you can see us coming out, playing with our ass on fire. At the same time, you could see us getting picked on a little bit, getting behind early like we consistently do, and going into the game with a halftime deficit and then just not being able to get out of it. And turnovers are our ultimate grim reaper of, of NFL teams, so you hope that Cutler's able to take care of the ball. You hope that the, the new running backs who – are going to get increased workloads this Sunday night that they take care of the football. So it's really, really hard to, to, to figure out what Dolphins team we're going to see on Sunday night. But I think what product we do see Sunday night is going to be very important going forward because what we saw last year when uh, Dallas Thomas and Billy Turner found their heads rolling off from the guillotine we responded yeah. very much. I mean, we responded in a most emphatic way. So I'm hoping that that same storyline plays out. We will see on Sunday. And the man leading that charge is Adam Gase. And a lot of criticism headed his way. And we're just going to touch on this really quick. People are saying he's going to lose the locker room. Listen, I can tell you for 100% certainty from what I know and from what I've heard and from what others have told me, Yes, he is job. Even if the Dolphins didn't win a single game this year with a Tannehill injury, he was not getting fired. Steven Ross loves him. Steven Ross thinks the uh, next Don Shula and Adam Gase has no care in the world of what the players think of him because, like Mike Pouncey said, this is his way and you're on board or you're out of Miami. And that's just the way it's going to be. So for everyone saying it's Adam Gase's fault, and Adam Gase is on his way out, and fire Gase. I'm sorry, guys. He's not going anywhere. So, and your thoughts on Gase real quick. I, I still have a lot of faith in the guy, and he just seems to project that chip-on-your-shoulder type of person. He seems like a gym rat. He seems like a tape hound, and that's the kind of guy that I'm going to go down with. Like, if, you know, if we end up being – four and 12 this year and then we go forward next year and we're five and 11 and stuff then yeah i'll eat my words but this is a guy that steven ross himself you know kind of interjected himself a little bit more into the interview process this year and this was the guy that that impressed him and there's no reason to believe yes we've had a whirlwind of a 2017 season so far but i don't know that it's enough to question whether he's the coach of the future or not. I really do think that he has the player's respect. I think he has command over the locker room. What I want to see a little bit more out of Adam Gase, and we've talked about it a little bit on previous shows, are getting off to better starts. 
You know, he's the offensive guru, and we're one of the worst first-half teams of the last two years. And we just have to get better at that, whether it's getting better scripted plays, figuring out the nuances that defenses are going to show us, whatever it is. I trust that Adam Gase is going to do everything in his power and everything that he's capable of to get this team into a winning position. I really believe that. So I, I haven't lost confidence in Adam Gase. Nope, I have not either. And like you said, he is the offensive guru. And just like we're the, we're the gurus of many things here on Finsider Radio. So is it the players or is it Adam Gase himself? Time will tell, right? Yep. He shook things up on offense in, in trading JHI. Shook things up in the terms of the way they prepare. Adam Gase is facing a ton of adversity this year. Will he come out on top? Time will tell. But he's going to get next season to prove himself, and he's probably going to get the season beyond that. And then from there, when his contract is, is nearing an end, Stephen Ross will make a decision, but he has tremendous job security. All right, son, anything else before we sign off for the evening? No, again, just same way we started the show. Just want to give props and a hearty congratulations to our brother in Dolphin Hood, Josh Houts, his family, his baby girl. Just, just so happy for him. We can't wait to have him back. All right, yes, absolutely. Houts, we hope you're enjoying your new daughter and, and hope your wife is doing well. And hopefully we'll get you back next week. But if not, we totally understand and we'll see you and talk to you when things have calmed down and you've gotten some sleep. All right. So we're <laughs> looking forward to the we're looking forward to the Dolphins versus Raiders on Sunday night football. Reminder they have the Carolina Panthers on deck on Monday night football. But first, one game at a time. It's gonna be a new looking offense in terms of the running back uh, backfield. New-looking offense in terms of Jay Cutler possibly coming back, Devontae Parker coming back from an injury. Let's hope we open up the playbook just a bit more so defenses don't know what's coming. For certain, the creepy soccer that I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next week. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Laser cat t-shirts? check get your back to school shopping done now at amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items no need to leave your home or hassle with crowds amazon.com no better place to get everything back to school from a to z Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, listen to podcasts. Check it out.